This is Legislative Review on Prairie Public. I'm Dave Thompson. Thanks for joining us. Our guest on the show this week is the chairman of the House Appropriations Committee, Representative Don Vigasaw of Cooperstown. Representative, thanks for being here. Dave, it's always a pleasure. I've enjoyed the previous times we've done this and uh, looking forward to it. Great. Now, you are a new chairman, correct? I am. Uh, I've been on appropriations for four previous sessions. Uh, two sessions I chaired a, a division of appropriations in the House. But this is my first go-around with being the uh, overall chair. How do you like it? I have to say I enjoy it, Dave. Uh, it comes with challenges, of course, especially this time of the session when we're now trying to put all the pieces together and balance our budget. But I've, I've got a great team. Uh, we expanded our committee by two this time. We actually wanted to get some additional newer members into the equation, and actually because of term limits because we're going to have to accelerate people through committees because uh, some of our veterans won't be uh, around any longer than maybe six or eight years now. So we're, we brought in some new members and we've got a great team and uh, the divisions are working hard right now to balance the budgets that they're working on, the different agencies, and we're trying to put it all together. Now when you came in, revenues are looking good. They're still looking good after the March forecast, we'll call it that. Um, what are the challenges now? You know, Dave, before I was chair and when I first got on appropriations, I heard from some of the veterans that it's always more difficult when you have excess revenue. And I have certainly found that out. This has been a very um, interesting time. We came in with over $2.5 billion of additional revenues. And so all the members know that. And so the ideas just came in uh, so many different ways that uh, we overspent at crossover because you know neither side knows what the other side is doing before crossover so all the ideas come in and several pass and then when we get the crossover we find out that we're we're upside down on the numbers and so now the now the uh, you know the uh, prioritizing gets heavy and uh, it's it's a great problem to have that we had the excess revenue and you're right Dave the um, the March forecast gave us an additional $90 million of revenue to work with. And that, from what I understand from people in the legislature, accelerated the idea that you can get to a pay plan for state employees. Yes. We, uh, in the first half, we did a four and four as far as, uh, you know, for the first year, for the second year of the biennium. We just wanted to wait and make sure that our revenues were going to be sufficient uh, going into the biennium. And so when we had that additional $90 million, uh, we thought this was the time to give the employees uh, the additional 2% in the first year. Um, and that cost, I believe, was about $21 million to do that extra 2%. So we felt comfortable doing that. Our employees deserve it. And so we're doing that for them. But I understand that 6 and 4 is not, not all in the pay package, correct? There's, a, there's, there's some kind of, uh, I, I want to call it incentive fund, but it's a different name for that. Yes, it, it's a uh, equity pool, okay. we're, we're, we're calling it. And right now we've negotiated with the Senate and it's sitting at $82.5 million at this point. And what that's going to do, Dave, is that um, across state government, some agencies are paying certain um, levels differently. Uh, and I'm not sure why that's happened, but say an attorney one in one agency might be getting a little different wage than an attorney one in another agency. So this equity pool is meant to balance that out. 
And so between the additional, at this point, $82.5 million of equity pay that's going to go into the agency's budgets, the six and four, I think, I think we're doing an excellent job of trying to tell our employees we appreciate them and this will help with retention. So at six and four and an equity pool, there's also been a proposal to look at unfilled FTE positions in some of the agencies and what agencies have been doing with the money that's allocated to the FTP. Correct. Uh, we are taking a look at that this time. And uh, across state government, I believe there's approximately 700 unfilled positions. And the way it currently works is even though uh, an agency has unfilled positions, they're still getting the salary and benefit dollars for those people. We have found that uh, in some cases there's been open positions for you know two and three years. And they've been using those dollars for things like incentive and equity pay and so forth. But we're not sure that that's the, the right way to do that. So we're going to take the, the monies that, are, that would be going to those agencies and we're going to pool that money. And then as they hire, they will just simply request the funding for that FTE. It'll be transferred easily to the agency. That way, we're going to make sure that we're only paying for the employees that they have actually in their positions. So that money's in OMB, correct? It's going to be in OMB, and we're going to be really curious. We're going to learn a lot about uh, how many FTEs we really need and how much salary we really need in each budget. And so at the end of the biennium, I think we'll have some great data. Um, and if all of the positions aren't filled, and unlikely that they will because we've averaged several hundred every biennium, It'll be cost savings to the state. Now, you said that, that the budget was upside down, which is common. Yes, it's very in, common. Common. Are there goals that uh, the appropriations committees are trying to meet in order to reduce budgets? Well, we're taking a look at the additional FTEs. Um, at Crossover, we had added over 400 new FTEs. And so that's one area we're going to look very carefully at is to making sure that we need all those FTEs. And then the other time is one-time general fund spending. We're looking at that, uh, seeing if that's really necessary. And so we are working hard to get the agency budgets in good order. And then, of course, beyond that, there's a lot of larger capital projects that um, are either in bid budgets or standalone bills that we, that's the big numbers that we can probably more easily adjust. You don't have a figure in mind in terms of what you want to reduce. Um, well, at Crossover, we were upside down by a little over a billion dollars on the general fund. And so we need to at least get that much savings from what was spent in the first half, okay. or at least allocated on paper. But with the state having a really good cash cushion, that may not be as hard of a problem as if it would have been in the 80s. No, we're, we're in very good uh, position. We've got the Strategic Infrastructure Improvement Fund, uh, which um, gets oil and gas tax revenues. So we have that funding, although we've spent all of that too. But at the end of the day, while we do our adjustments, at, at the end of uh, our session here, we might have some money in that that we could allocate towards the general fund and balance that way. Okay. There, there are also other rainy day funds like budget stabilization, they seem to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, they're, all, of our, uh, all of our reserve uh, accounts are full. The budget stabilization fund uh, has a balance of 15% of the budget. 
And so at this biennium, it was in that $750 million range, somewhere's in there, and that's that 15%. Uh, we could actually lower that a little bit if we wanted to and take that additional 3% that's in the budget stabilization fund and put towards our ending fund balance if we needed to do that. I don't think we'll need to. I think we'll be able to make the priority changes that will balance without doing that. So what are the big budgets that you are working on in this biennium, in, the, in this part of the session, I should say? Well, in the House, um, actually, the Senate's got the bigger ones. <laughs> we had them in the first half. Uh, we had Industrial Commission. We had Higher Ed. Uh, in this half, we have the DPI budget, which is, you know, very large. Um, we have the Attorney General's office, which is pretty good-sized. But I think the in this second half, the larger budgets are actually over in... Uh, the Senate, because we had DOT, uh, Department of Transportation, we had that in the first half, Industrial Commission, as I mentioned, Higher Ed, um, and Information Technology were all in the House in the first half. Now they're all in the Senate. Well, we, we haven't had a chance to talk to anybody about the transportation budget. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me ask you where that stands and what the state is prepared to spend in the next biennium. We're going to have to make a, a funding change this time, Dave. Uh, traditionally, um, we have we have used um, motor vehicle registration fees and the gas tax to fund uh, the match that is required uh, when we receive the federal dollar. So every year we get federal highway dollars, and the state has to match a portion of that, and we've used those revenues to do so because. We haven't raised our registration fees for a long time. Vehicles are getting more fuel efficient, so the gas tax revenues that we're getting isn't supporting or creating enough revenue to match those dollars. Then you add the fact that the, uh, the federal government, through the um, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, is sending us an additional $785 million and that requires a match. So our current funding model just didn't get it done. So what we've done uh, this time, at least proposed in the first half, is we're taking 50% uh, of the motor vehicle excise tax. So that's the tax that's paid on motor vehicle purchases. And the half of that that we're using is $169 million. Now that is general fund dollars. So this is a departure from the past where we have traditionally not used general fund dollars for that, but in order to match the federal dollars that are coming in addition to what we normally get, uh, we need to do that because if we don't use the dollars, they'll go to another state. Now this, this money is, is pretty substantial and it could mean a lot of construction or resurfacing projects, that type of thing around the state. Oh, there's no question. Uh, it's going to allow us to do more work. Uh, the Department of Transportation does a great job of putting forward a, a long-term plan. And what this is going to do, it's going to allow us to do projects sooner. And that's always a good thing. And I know that they're interested in, in doing something a little bit different, Dave. Looking at possibly going off the highway system to have some dollars available to assist counties and townships um, to connect to the state highway system. A good example is the new soybean crushing plant in Castleton. Now that's, they need some infrastructure and some improvement on roads off of I-94 or any other state highway to get to the plant because there's going to be a lot of traffic. 
And so they would like to have uh, more flexibility in their uh, spending so they can actually assist and, and pay for some of the county and township roads that they traditionally have not done. And in the Castleton plant you're talking about, it's on a whole old Highway 10, right? That's correct. Yes, it is. So I remember driving on old Highway 10 with my folks. So yeah. that brings back a lot of memories yes, on that. Yes. Uh, about water projects, where are we at with that? Well, that's another really big budget, and that is on our side this time. Now, that doesn't take any general fund dollars because that's all um, we get a lot of money that goes into that budget from oil tax revenue. And um, the big projects there that I think we're looking at, um, the Red River Valley Water Supply Project, which is you know taking water from the Missouri River, actually takes it just south of Cooperstown and, and dumps it into the Cheyenne, and then, of course, it's going to end up in, in the Red and will help with uh, the Fargo-Moorhead area for water supply. That's a real big project. They're looking at probably like trying to get $175 million this year. Uh, there's also some additional work in Minot. You know, that's with finishing up their flood control project up there. So there's always some large water projects. Those are a couple of the biggest. Now, we took care of the diversion, mm -hmm. the, the state's uh, obligation there, last time through bonding. So we do not uh, need to do any more with the Fargo diversion. But these other two projects are going to take a lot of money. And there's always... Um, you know, rural projects that are so important to our rural state. I, I have to ask because there was been some talk about it when they talked about the Red River Valley Water Supply Project. Mm -hmm. It brings Missouri River water to eastern North Dakota, and there was some talk that maybe communities along the pipeline before it gets to the Cheyenne might be able to tap into it. They can. Is that still the, uh, they the way can. it's going to go? And I don't have the exact number of communities that are eligible, and some have already committed. Uh, they they want to get that water, um, and it may not be a uh, a primary source, but a secondary source. Uh, I think Cooperstown, my home community, is one because the pipeline is going to run very close to the community. And uh, I've been down to see where the discharge structure is. That's all complete, uh, a few miles south of Cooperstown. And so that the end is done, and now we just got to connect the pipe in between. I also heard that the possibly the spirit would. Energy Center might might top into that. Yes, that is true. There is getting to be quite a uh, complex there because another soybean crushing plant going in there. So from along Highway 200 down to the Jamestown here wouldn't be a, a difficult project. You know, it's interesting. It brings up the point that we're one of the leading growers of soybeans, but we haven't had the plants to crush it. Now we're getting that value added in here and. That needs some infrastructure, roads, water, and that's yeah, another thing that, you have to tackle. The the uh, the value added is going to be huge for our state. It's going to bring in, it's going to bring better prices for our producers, our farmers. Um, it's going to bring in additional businesses that kind of, you know, uh, feed into the the crushing plants and more services needed, and that's all going to be fantastic for our state. So it's exciting, and then of course. And I'm sure you've talked about this with some of your other guests, but the animal agriculture uh, emphasis has really been high in this session to try to bring back um, animal agriculture to the state of North Dakota. I'm, I'm wondering, that's in the Senate right now. It is it, in the it, Senate. It did pass the House. It passed the House pretty substantially. So yes. I'm, I'm kind of watching that. Any, any predictions from you? Is the Senate going to take it up? 
I think it'll I think it'll go through. You know, one of the big assistance in the first half was to have uh, the farm groups all unify um, and at least help write the language. So I I'm thinking that the the previous hurdle with one particular organization uh, at least they're not opposing it and um, they helped write the language so I'm really hoping that gets across the finish line because we've got a great state um, for animal agriculture and that again would spur on a lot of additional business in our in our agricultural sector. I'd like to change gears for just a moment. It was the house that had the higher ed budget yes. first yes. and there was something added by one of your subcommittees which I find very fascinating about building projects on, on the university campuses. Mm -hmm. And it's a four-year thing, from what I understand. First two years, the university is proposing it, has to raise some matching money, and then they'd have money in the second uh, half of the four years. Where is that? Okay, well, that, that came about because we had the excess revenue. So that, this is one of the ideas that came about because our uh, house members saw an opportunity to take care of some of these long-requested building projects. So the idea was to, to set up this four-year plan and then um, even though we knew they wouldn't build them all in the first year, two years of the biennium, the funding would be secure so that over the four years they could do those projects. Now uh, the Senate isn't thinking quite the same as we are, so they're going to probably pare that back a bit. So we don't know which projects may end up being funded, but some will. Some are drastically needed. Um, one that is not on the list, but it's in a separate budget, is Waldron Hall at NDSU's campus, and that's where all the ag research is done, and it's in really, really dire need of replacement. Uh, I'm just, I can't believe that world-class research comes out of that facility, but it does. So a credit to the staff and the students there that do such a great job, but I think that one's going to make it through. Uh, it may be re, uh, reduced a bit in the amount allocated to that project, but I think that one's going to cross the hurdle, and I think some of the other projects will, but it's going to be pared down, no question about it. So how is that accomplished? Because the old saw is a legislative session cannot bind a second legislative session. Correct. And if you're raising money for two years, is there a guarantee that the money would be there in the second two years? Dave, I think that through the conversation with the Senate, I think that four-year plan is probably not going to happen. I think that we'll just, I'm not for sure, but I think that they will just allocate monies uh, for for the first two years of the biennium, at least get it started. So get it started. Yeah, they've kind of divided the list into two two sections. And the, the top section will get their funding for this time. and. Uh, then for the next time we'll allocate money for those projects. Okay. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about taxes. Mm. The House has taken a stand on cutting income taxes. The Senate took a stand on cutting property taxes. There was a bit of a hiccup this week when uh, Senate Appropriations took the income tax out of the combined bill, but put it back in. Where do you see that going? You know, it was interesting, Dave, um, our leader, LaFour, did a survey of our House members. What would you like? Would you like all income tax? Would you like all property tax? Would you like a combination or uh, a certain other blend? And when the results came back, he put it into a, a pie chart. They were almost exactly equal 
quarters. There wow. was no one that dominated the conversation. So we just have uh, a very interesting um, group of folks that just like certain things. It's going to be a combination of, of three things. It's going to be some income tax relief. It's going to be property uh, mail buy-down, I believe, and then homestead tax credit relief. Um, the parameters haven't been set up for all of those yet, but I think that's going to be the combination. And so it'll be come out as a package. So that'll be one of the, maybe toward the end of the session will get resolved. I would guess, but I'll have to say, Dave, and, and we have gotten along really well with the Senate leaders. Um, Senator Beckadall and Senator Hogue has, have worked very well with, with Leader LaFour and myself. And so we're agreeing on things along the way, which I think is really spectacular. So we have conversations every week about this tax package. Another tough issue that could be hanging around until the end of the session is the state employee retirement plan. And it looks like each chamber has kind of set out markers. The, the House wants to go with more of a defined contribution. Yes. The Senate is still behind a defined benefit plan. And where do you, where do you think? I think at the end of the day, we're going to finally be able to convert to a defined contribution plan. Um, we are currently with our, with our defined benefit plan in a $1.8 billion hole. Um, so we're going to have to infuse a lot of additional funding over time to make that hole because we have to fund that. But I think by closing that plan and going into the defined contribution plan, at least we'll, we'll stop that it seems like it's it's the holes getting a little deeper every biennium so we'll stop that uh, any new employees it does not affect any current employees any new employees will go to the defined contribution plan or a 401k i guess people normally call it that um, i think that's the way we should do that plan and i think i think i believe it's going to it's going to happen we've been trying to do this for a long time and the house is generally supported that and the Senate has been uh, a little bit more resistant but I think this time I think we're going to get across the finish line with uh, making the switch. So you think at this point um, given the the fiscal note on the bill uh, to get out and and close down the defined benefit plan that there might be more of an appetite this time? I think so and I think we just have you know the, the makeup of the body is just more supportive of making that change. Yeah, we're going to have to put in significant funding for several bienniums to make sure that those that are included in the defined benefit are making sure they'll get their benefit over over a many many years, many decades actually. Um, you know, right now the bill sits at putting in about two hundred and fifty million dollars into that plan. Now that's adjustable, of course. But the less we put in, the longer it would take us to, to get to a, a good percentage of uh, sustainability. And that, that's compounded. Yes. Yeah. So let me just ask you a question out of the blue. Mm -hmm. Is there an issue that's probably hiding in the woods somewhere that we probably should be paying more attention to? Hmm. Just in general? Just in general. As far as state government? Yeah. Boy, I'm so busy trying to balance budgets. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't given that much thought. But I think, you know, as far as like appropriators, I think we just need to be a little bit more conservative with our spending. You know, 
we are a conservative legislature by nature, but it seems like when we see the additional dollars available, we're all in. I would rather see us focus more on returning excess revenue to the taxpayer. It's their money. They've paid it in. So I'd like to see more focus there, but the ideas for doing projects and establishing programs um, continues to come. So I, I would just hope that over time we would, we would just get a little bit more conservative on the spending, even if we do have excess revenue. And if we do, then we return it back as far as tax relief goes. There's a lot of talk about the ending fund balance, right. how much money you want to carry over. Are you thinking about a figure for an ending fund balance? You know, we haven't yet, Dave, but uh, the governor had $410 million as his ending fund balance. So um, if we can remain on par with his spending level, that's what we would have. Now, we would probably get criticized for having that much as an ending fund balance because how come you didn't do something with that? So I don't know where that's going to be, Dave. Um, we got a lot of balancing to do before that time, but in North Dakota, of course, we have to have a balanced ending fund balance. We have to be positive. Um, I, I think we'll just fund our priorities, and I'm sure we'll have a significant ending fund balance at the end of the day. Something to watch. Yeah, no question. I, well, I'll, it's going to be a very interesting next two, three weeks because we'll start conference committees any day now, and that's when the negotiations will begin. How many conference committees are you going to be on, do you think? You know, I think, you know, my first time being the chair, I don't plan on putting myself on any conference committees, except I'm always on the OMB. OMB it's generally yes. the leadership that's on OMB. But I'm really confident in my team, and so I will assign, with the assistance of the division chairman, uh, who should be on a conference committee on these budgets. Um, I suppose there's an opportunity for me to step in if I need to. And I'll do that if I have to, but I don't think, uh, not planning on sitting in on very many, I'll just be supervising and, and encouraging my team to do a great job to defend the House position. Great. Well, our time is up, unfortunately. Uh, already? Already, yes. Oh, boy. Our guest on the program, the Chairman of House Appropriations, Representative Don Vigasaw from Cooperstown. Thank you so much. Dave, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. For Prairie Public, I'm Dave Thompson.